Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over the Show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash to pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And welcome to episode 40 of Horror Court Trash Over. Wow. 40. Time uh, fly. Yeah. 40 episodes later, and uh, here we are, still, still talking trash about films. Yeah, yeah. Well, not always trash. No, recently no. quite a bit, but not always. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some I think. Yeah, I mean, um, today is a good example of when we don't talk trash about a film. Got a little highbrow today, yes. I, I feel. We are back for another Original versus Remake episode. It is the last Friday in April. And uh, we are talking about Nosferatu. Yes. Which is, I think this definitely marks the 40th episode occasion. This is uh, quite a... This is a, a horror masterpiece. This is... Near the beginning of horror. Yeah. Yeah, um, you're talking about the original. Yeah. Yeah. This this could be the first horror film ever made. Uh, no. No? Close. No, I believe the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Was that before this? I believe oh, okay. so. I mean, it's um, it's in the era of uh, German... Well... Expressionism. I'd say expressionism. I think Cabinet of Dr. Caligari is a lot more on expressionism than this. Yeah, no, it definitely fits into that. Yeah. It definitely fits into uh, German expressionism. Uh, before we get into these films, uh, we've got the results of the uh, of the <laughs> poll that we put out every time we do one of these episodes. Um, may I remind you, A Nightmare on Elm Street, some people voted for the remake. Uh, the Haunting, a lot of people voted for the remake. When a Stranger Calls, some people vote for the remake. This is the first original versus remake episode where not one single person voted for the remake. Guys, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> Seriously! This is probably the best of the remakes, but the original film is probably so good that people... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I absolutely understand that the yeah. original is better, but come on, guys, the other episodes... There's, there's no excuse for that yeah, shit. Yeah, it probably says more <laughs> about uh, the other polls that we had <laughs> rather than this poll. Yeah. But well done, guys. You did vote correctly. I mean, you know, not to get into spoiler alert, we're going to reveal our favourite at the end, but, you know, yeah. something in common with you. <laughs> um, so, original Nosferatu. Um, also, before we get into this, another point I want to put across, whilst I remember, is... Uh, the remake more so than the original. Um, obviously, you know, we are an LGBT podcast, and I think these films heavily focus on that side of... Uh, well, the character of Dracula in particular has always been known as being basically bisexual. Okay. I just wanted to get that point across, um, because uh, when BBC released their Dracula miniseries at the start of the year, there's people complaining because of how... Uh, there was like that male relationship there between yeah. Dracula and um and the guy who essentially played Harker in in that uh, mini series. Yeah, definite reference to it. To oh, the absolutely. On the boat. Yeah, yeah, and I think there the, there is messages of homosexuality in both these films, more so the remake. Yeah, I think I think Bram Stoker's um, sexuality has been questioned. Yeah, in the past. I'm not sure if it's been confirmed. Um, F.W. Murnau, uh, the director of the original, he was known to be a homosexual. Oh, there we go. So, I, I, I think anyone who creates art mm. or, or any form of sort of culture, it, 
aspects of their own life are going to come into yeah, yeah, yeah. either deliberately or, or unconsciously. Yeah, I, it's a lot more subtle in the original, which is surprising that you mentioned that about the director. But um, the, the remake is uh, very, very camp and very, I feel, more a lot more obvious of its messages as well, if that was intentional. If not, then that's what I've took away from it anyway. And also, whilst on the subject, next month we'll be covering another vampire original versus remake, the original of which is widely considered an LGBT film, and that is uh, Front Night. Okay. Is that LGBT? It is. It, it is. Um, a lot of people look at the symbolism of Jerry the Neighbour as, uh, as Charlie Brewster's sexuality, and uh, the two share a lot of really intimate scenes. I mean, you've not seen the film all the way through. Um, no. And, and it also stars a gay porn star as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, we'll get, obviously we'll get on to more of that next month. But um, just, you know... Welcome to our podcast on Friday. Welcome to <laughs> our <laughs> podcast on Friday. No. Yeah. So, Nosferatu. Anyway, I just thought I'd get that across. Yeah, uh, no. 1922, Nosferatu was released, directed by F.W. Mernon. Don't know the budget, but it did make $19,054 worldwide. 1922, I assume that's really good. Mm, probably not. No? Um, what... I don't know if you have this in your notes, but it was actually... Um, uh, what do you call it? A bomb? No, no, no. There was a copyright claim from Bram Stoker's... I have got that family. on here. Yeah, yeah. So it was actually taken out of cinemas and destroyed. Yes. So the prints that we have now... Uh, was saved. Someone yeah. them somewhere. Okay. Yeah. No. That that makes sense. Um, but on to trivia. That that is on on my yeah. notes. We'll come back to that in a second. There's a creature in. The, this is my first bit of trivia. It's my favorite bit of trivia. There's a creature in the film that they call a werewolf. It's actually a hyena. <laughs> it was quite clearly a hyena. <laughs> it was very part. obviously a hyena. Yeah, I even missed the part where they referred to it <laughs> as a werewolf. <laughs> um, so the budget couldn't have been that high. <laughs> no. Um, it was banned in Sweden uh, for excessive horror up until 1972. Wow. That's a long time. That's, that's like 50 years. That's Yeah. I can see why. I can see why. I mean, obviously, by nowadays standards. I still found it eerie, but... I, I mean, don't know. By 1972. You know, but, but imagine that in 1922 when horror films are fairly new. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know... I'd say it's it's up there. It's up there. If you watch this at Halloween time with the lights down, I'm sure it was scarier. It's it's you know there's just an atmosphere, a, a a constant atmosphere in the film. Um, I think it's really well done. It it, it does have its scares. I mean, obviously, me and you, we watch a lot of horror films. But yeah. if you showed this to someone who doesn't watch a lot of horror films, they'd probably scare the shit out of them. Yeah, well, it makes me think of a quote that I read whilst I was doing my research, and yeah, it is from Wikipedia or whatever. Um, but it's from Roger Ebert, mm. from his uh, great movies, writing his list from 1997. This was on yeah, his great yeah. movies list. But I'll, I'll read it out for you because I find it quite interesting. Uh, here's the story of Dracula before it was buried alive in cliches, jokes, TV skits, cartoons and more than 30 other films. The film is in awe of its material. It seems to really believe in vampires. Is Murnau's Nosferatu scary in the modern sense? Not for me. I admire it more for its artistry and ideas, its atmosphere and images, than for its ability to manipulate my emotions like a skillful modern horror film. It knows none of the later tricks of the trade, like sudden threats that pop in from the side of the screen, but Nosferatu remains effective. It doesn't scare us, 
but it haunts us. Yeah. Which I, I thought was quite it's, interesting. It's so true. I, I, I agree with yeah, that. Yeah, it's absolutely true. I mean, there's some people I follow on Letterboxd that have said that they found it boring. You're missing the point. You're, you're missing yeah. the point. It's, it's essentially... Watching this film is like going to an art gallery. It's... You're looking at a piece of history that's there to be admired. Sure, films are meant to be, be enjoyed, and, you know, if, if you don't enjoy it and you are bored, then fair enough. But... There's more to look at than just the plot line. The plot line's basic as fuck. It's mm. early, but it's basic as fuck. But there's so much to look at in the film. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's about an atmosphere. It's about an eeriness. Yeah. And um, we'll get onto it later, but I, I think the fact that it's a silent film actually helps that. Yeah. Um, it's 2020 right now. You know, this film is 98 years old. Mm. Um, times change. As a viewer of horror films, what scares me is stuff that is real. Yeah. yeah. To, to a certain degree. Yeah. Not real necessarily in my life, but I watch something like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm. However over the top that is, mm. it could still be yeah. true. It, there's still a, an element of realism there. Mm. Psycho, scared audiences, shitless mm. in 1960. Because it felt it could be real. Yeah. You know, there are people out there who are like Norman Bates. That's scary. And that's what scares mm. me. Um, not necessarily the supernatural. That doesn't scare me so much. Yeah. But if a great supernatural film can create a really great atmosphere and engross me into the story, mm. it's, it becomes a haunting. It becomes a haunted yeah. sort of tale. You know, it stays with you. And that's what Nosferatu did. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, I mean, speaking about how nice the film looked as well, the exterior locations and sets are actually still intact to this day, which is insane. Mm. I'd, yeah, it, it, it's, the sets were fantastic. Yeah, I, I'd love to visit that. That would be amazing. Yeah. Um, so back to what you were saying earlier, all known prints and negatives of the films were destroyed under the terms of the lawsuit that was uh, settled by Bram Stoker's widow. Um, yeah. But yeah, then it did surface through second generation reels uh, in other countries, and now that's how we've got it. And uh, of course, it's public domain, isn't it? It is public domain now. Yeah, yeah, it will be. So yeah, that... yeah, but and it is. Um, we'll read out the plot uh, of the films, um, but it is essentially a an official um, telling of the Dracula story. Um, it, yeah. It's Dracula. (laughs) It's Dracula. They just changed the names and, you know, um, very minor details so they wouldn't get sued. Turns out they were sued anyway because they didn't change enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in regards to that, they did attempt to change the names, but when it was sent over to America, the subtitles and everything, the, you know, the the prints for the silent films, they're all translated as the character's names from Dracula. Yes. And then that's what fucked it all up for him. Yeah. Yeah. So so what we'll find is the 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 copy of the original that we watched, um, I believe he was called Count Orlac. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in the remake he refers to himself as Count Dracula. Yeah, by that stage the By all, that stage. Yeah. yeah. So th- th- I think the remake is an official telling of the Dracula yeah. story. Yeah. Even though the version we watched, it had all the names intact because that that would have been the version that was translated in America. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> so, you know, when a film goes into the public domain, you know bad shit happens to those films. Colorized versions, extra scenes. Yeah. There was an alternative version of this film released in the 90s introduced by David Carradine. That's not too bad. But they swapped the score for music by metal band, the uh, Typo Negative. Wow. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. I do know there's a version where, uh, because some of the scenes were meant to be nighttime, but were filmed during the daytime. Yeah. And it's very clear it's when watching. Um, so they had the scenes at night tinting, uh, tinted blue. Yeah. So that actually starts off my facts about Max Shrek in his role of uh, uh, Dracula, essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah, his scenes were tinted blue because um, they were all filmed during the day. Um, uh, he's only seen blinking once on screen. Mm-hmm. The rest of the film, he just has his eyes open, doesn't blink at all. Must be painful. Yeah. Um, he actually doesn't appear until 21 minutes into the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's only on screen for less than nine minutes in total. Which I found hard to believe watching it. It felt like he was on in the film for way longer. Yeah. Well, it's like um, Silence of the Lambs. Mm. Um, Anthony Hopkins is only on screen, I, I believe, less than 20 minutes of the film. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. You know that's when an actor makes an impact. When Absolutely. it feels like they're on screen for way that's longer. That's a great performance. Um, and uh, he actually had a film made about him. Uh, and this whole film and the production, and it was called Shadow of the Vampire, and it actually stars Willem Dafoe, starring as Max Shrek. Who did John Mankiewicz play? In? I'm not F. entirely w. sure. I'm I assume it was. But um, the whole film was based around the urban legend, because apparently this exists, there's an urban legend that Max Shrek was actually a vampire. Oh. So this film should have scared you, because it is real. Max Shrek is a vampire. There we go. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Um, and uh, my final fact is that this was selected by the Vatican in the art category amongst uh, 45 great films list. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's um, re- religious people battling evil, so it makes sense. And in 1979, Nosferatu the Vampire, the alternative title because um, just in case you didn't know it was a vampire, was released by Werner Herzog on a budget of 2.5 million and it only made 2,000... Uh, was that 20... No, 22. Did I put a dollar sign there or is that a two? Could you just uh, check this budget for me, please? Because oh, okay. I can't understand my own writing, apparently. Bloody hell. It either made $22,874 or $2,874. If it's the latter, then that is a, that is a bad bomb right now. Am I right? Is it? Well, it says worldwide gross. Yeah, that's the one. Two thousand eight hundred. Ah, there we go. Yeah, so it it bombed. But then it says, it said it made that in Taiwan. In Taiwan. <laughs> yeah. Well, it bombed in Taiwan. Um, but it was made on a two point five million dollar budget. You can tell the budget is much higher. You can tell that this is many years later. Um, so this was a problematic production and it it did affect my rating of the film in the same way that, uh, Cannibal Holocaust got one less star because of, uh, certain things that happened on that film set. We'll save that chat for another day. Um, starting it off, 
We'll we'll start with some positive, some quite funny trivia actually. Um, Werner Herzog uh, said that the rats on set behave better than Klaus Kinski. Yeah, Klaus Kinski has a reputation to be very yeah. very difficult to work with. People don't like him. No, he is. Uh, he's not a very popular guy. Yeah, I believe Werner Herzog made a um, a film. About their relationship. I think oh, wow. it was called My Best Fiend. Something like that. Well, um, Kinski spent four hours of makeup every day with uh, fresh latex ears applied each day. And uh, <laughs> this is in the trivia because it's so much of a shock. He got on well with his uh, makeup artist, Rico Crook. <laughs> um, they got on very well together. And uh, that is an actual trivia fact for this film. Uh in the, uh, well, we'll get to that in a second. The slow-mo shots of bats in this film uh, were actually taken from a nature documentary. Yeah, it does take you out a little bit because um, they have very clearly nothing to do with the film. <laughs> um, <laughs> Werner Herzog believes that the original film is the greatest German film of all time. Okay. Then why uh, remake it? I... <sighs> Well, we'll get to that in a bit. Yeah. Because we, we both know there's things that's changed here that yeah. will change for the better. Um, Klaus Kinski wanted to play the role of energy. He, he wanted to be an energetic vampire. Um, but the director didn't want this. He won't have any of it. So uh, what he would do is he would wind him up every single day on set uh, into a tantrum. So that by the time he got around to filming the role, um, he had no energy. And he had to do the same trick uh, for another film of his that we watched uh, the other night, uh, Wrath of God, and what's the first? A Agir, Agir, Agiri, Wrath of God. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Klaus Kinski plays the title character in that film, and uh, he obviously didn't tire him out that much because he was very hammy in that. Um, hammy? Would you not say so? That's very rude. No, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Hammy's not a good thing. Well, I mean, he was energetic. Let's put yeah, that. yeah. I, and let, let's be clear, Klaus Kinski is a fantastic actor yeah and that's the reason people put up with his bullshit yeah um i think dustin hoffman has a bit of a reputation as well um for being a bit of a dick oh or, many, or many did. um but you know great performers people put up with some shite yeah um by this point bram stoker's dracula ran out of copyright um so all the original names were all installed into this uh, film um whilst they still followed the original film's blueprint Ah, okay. Um, one thing that we unfortunately had to witness was that there was two versions of this film made um, due to the request of 20th Century Fox. They wanted one in English and one in German, and we got the English version. Yeah. Which just consists of the actors... <laughs> just, I, I mean, they must have been pissed off. They had to record two scenes each time with the yeah. dialogue, and... Uh, I mean, I think it shows in parts. Yeah, yeah. The line deliveries. There's uh, one performance in particular that's weird. Yeah. We'll get well. Um, this is one of five Dracula films released in 1979. There was also Dracula, uh, Love at First Bite. Which which Dracula? Uh, 1979. Oh, oh, okay. I don't know who would have been in that one. Uh, Love at First Bite, Nocturna, uh, Graf Dracula in. Oberbatten? I think that's what that says. Uh, there's also vampire films, um, not 
specifically based on Dracula released in the same year, and those were Salem's Lot and First. Like Salem's Lot, the Dracula, um, the vampire in that. That's taken directly lot. from yeah, this. Yeah, owes a lot to uh, the original Nosferatu. Yes. Um, and uh, on to... Um, oh, yeah, so Herzog wanted to film in Transylvania, uh, the scenes with Dracula, uh, but the government did not want to allow a production that portrayed Dracula as anything but a hero. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was filmed in Amsterdam, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I recognised it as Amsterdam, to be fair. Uh, and now on to the more problematic side of things. Um, a Dutch behavioural... Uh, a Dutch behavioural biologist uh, refused to work on the film after witnessing how badly the rats were treated. Uh, their travel conditions were so poor in the film that they started to eat each other on their journey to the film, um, to the set. Uh, they died the rats. They tie-dyed the rats because he wanted white rats. Uh, Werner Herzog wanted white rats and nothing else. So he tie-dyed them and in a really grim and really bizarre move, which I really don't understand why he would do this, um, he submerged their cage their cages in boiling water for seven seconds and that caused unfortunately caused half of them to die uh and there was also some mishandling of um horses as well and other animals on set really which is really shitty it always takes away from a film it does it does it is um, really really shitty it should yeah. never have happened no there's no excuse for shit like that and do you know what the, the worst well not the worst part but the rats don't even look white no no they look s- slightly grey yeah yeah they don't even look white in the film it was completely pointless it was you know I, I, I don't agree with any animals being harmed no. or dying for, for a film no. we, we fucking love films you know that and it's completely unnecessary it's it's not and you know the famous um, examples would be, you know, the cannibal, Italian cannibal. Yeah, films. I mean, I just said cannibal holocaust earlier, but yeah. honestly, there's that's only that's only well known because of the other parts of the backstory for that, and then that highlighted the animal violence. But honestly, there are so many Italian cannibal films that do it. It's yeah. There's yeah, there's there's no excuse, no excuse for it at all. You can no. make prosthetics, and if you can't, if you haven't got it in your budget, and just don't include animals, they're and not essential to the plot. It's a, yeah, it's a simple. It's the killing of animals for entertainment. Yeah, um, that I've no, I've never thought that would ever be entertaining. Yeah, and I mean, I think obviously you know the film industry is. I don't think that would ever happen again now. Um, no, and, you know, no. I think there's a lot of things in place to prevent things like that but yeah. it is shocking to think that ever happened um, you know I, I don't want to make this whole thing about animal cruelty on film but you know if, if you're going to eat the animal afterwards okay you know I've, se- I've seen films where they've killed an animal on screen and then eaten it you know we're, we're meat eaters mm. um, as long as it's humane you know yeah I mean it's, it's something that you know you know happens yeah. Um, I mean, I personally, even though I'm a meat eater, I still don't like watching it. Um, no. You know, the fucking, you've got Necromantic 2, I think it is, where they kill an animal, I can't remember what animal it was, and I found that harder to watch than the fucking <laughs> scenes with necrophilia. It's the horrors of real life, Gary. Yes. Um, but anyway, 
yeah, that we're completely against and should never have happened. And another bit of problematic um, trivia about Klaus Kinski, actually. So apparently he was very famous for uh, disrespecting women because Sylvia Crystal was the... Christelle Crystal? It's the first choice for Lucy in this film, but she refused to work with him because of how uh, well-known he was for the way he was towards women. Oh. Mm. Sylvia Christel from the Emmanuel films. Oh, okay. Um, wow, that that's... That's that's a strange choice, I thought. Yeah. For Lucy. Uh, we'll get on to, to why, actually. Um, it's, it's an interesting fact. And... And then trivia on a bit of a positive note. This is the only original remake combination that are both included in Steven Schneider's 1001 films you need to see before you die. Oh, wow. So, on to the plot summaries. 1922 is... Yeah, yeah. So, they're very similar plots, but I'll I'll give it to you. So, this is the 1920... Calm down. Shut up. Um... So, and I'm going to use the American names. Yeah. 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 Um, the German versions have different names, uh, but I'm going to give you the American one. So, um, Jonathan Harker is the assistant to the estate agent, Reinfeld, and his boss asks him one day to go to the castle of Count Orlock in Transylvania to process the Count's purchase of a property in the town. Harker leaves his wife, Ellen, to travel the long distance to his destination, meeting locals within an inn on the way. The locals warn him not to complete his journey. He doesn't heed their warning. This is where the uh, werewolf comes in. They, they say there's a werewolf yeah. about slash hyena. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Harker goes to the castle and is greeted by Count Orlac, and he's presented with a fine meal that evening. Harker accidentally cuts his finger with a knife and Orlok proceeds to try to suck the blood uh, from Harker's finger. On which a first Harker, date. On a first date, which Harker stops immediately because it's 1922. Harker sleeps and awakens the next morning with fresh bite marks on his neck that he dismisses as being from some sort of insect. Um, some sort of insect that bites directly next to each other is the front teeth but anyway uh, Orlok signs the documents for his purchase of the uh, house in town and this house will be directly opposite Harker and his wife Ellen and upon being shown a picture of Ellen remarks that she has a lovely neck <laughs> I thought that was quite funny actually uh, Harker happens to have a book on vampires with him and upon reading it, suspects Orlok may actually be a vampire. Harker is visited by Orlok that night, something Ellen sees, seems to be able to see in her sleep. So uh, Orlok's stalking Harker mm-hmm. and uh, Ellen in some sort of um, dream state uh, sees this and ends up sleepwalking. Yes. Um, the next day, Harker finds Orlok sleeping in a coffin in the uh, basement of his castle and then sees Orlok fleeing the castle in a coffin. So Orlok um, seemingly has asked some coffins to be delivered to the town and he sneaks into one of the coffins 
where he can sleep on his journey there. So Harker knows he's on his way and suspects it's on his way to uh, find Ellen. Um, Harker escapes the castle, but knocks himself unconscious in the process, waking up in a hospital. After recovering, he hurries home. The coffins are now on board a boat with um, Orlok still in one of the coffins. Uh, the sailors open one of them to find a number of rats in there. Uh, so they, they just wanted to check what was going on to the boat. It wasn't the one with Orlok in. Um, um, the sailors on board start falling ill and dying. The first mate believes it's the rats from the coffins. And upon going to destroy the coffins and in turn the rats, Orlok rises up and f- the first mate jumps overboard. So it doesn't actually kill him, but he frightens him so much that he jumps overboard. <laughs> Uh, upon arrival in town, the ship is inspected and the captain is found dead. The plague is blamed for all the deaths and the town is put on lockdown. Orlok is now in town and many deaths begin occurring, all of them blamed on the plague. Ellen reads Harker's book on vampires upon his return and finds out a vampire can be killed by the sacrifice of a woman pure of heart who distracts him with her beauty and her pure blood until the cocks crow with the sunlight of a new day, destroying the vampire in the process. That night, Ellen invites Orlok in and sacrifices herself for the good of mankind. Orlok dies in a puff of smoke and Ellen embraces her husband before dying. Yes. And again, you're going to hear a lot of that again right now. Um, so in 1979, we begin with a uh, a rather... I thought that, that, honestly, when this happened, I thought this was going to be so much scarier than the original. We have like, they look like dead children in the catacombs. Um, and then there's like the bat flying around in slow motion from the documentary. And then Lucy wakes up after all that and it was revealed it's a nightmare. Uh, Dracula wants to buy a house. Uh, Harker is told about this, so he goes to pay him a visit. Uh, he goes into the inn. He's warned about Dracula. There's no hyena in this one. Uh, instead, he goes on a four-week-long Lord of the Rings-style journey across the mountains to go to the castle. Uh, he has dinner with Dracula, who is wearing a woolly hat, might I add, uh, in this first scene. Fashion icon. Uh, so they're talking real estate, and... Uh, Harker cuts his finger, Dracula leaps at him, uh, wants a bit of that blood, and he actually does start sucking it in this one. You know, we're in the 70s now, progression. Um, There's a bat in Lucy's room, and uh, Harker finds a neck bite on himself the next morning after he stays over at the castle. You know what they got up to? Uh, Dracula signs his papers, and uh, then after this, the, the night after, he visits Harker's room whilst he's sleeping, uh, Lucy sleepwalks and she can vision this, same as the original. Uh, some more stuff, same as the original. Um, then Harker finds Dracula in the coffin, like the original. And uh, after this, he attempts to escape the castle and go and pay Lucy a visit to tell her she's in trouble. And he falls out the window and knocks himself out. And then we move on to the boat section of this film, which is a lot shorter than uh, than the original. Um, so he gets on the plague boat, puts his coffins on there, 
the boss from the start of the film, who was, for some reason, some sort of um, mental patient in this film. Um, was he in the original as well? Oh, he was, yeah. So, seemingly, he was being controlled by... By Dracula. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's putting a straight jacket in this one. Um, and uh, Harker gets on the horse after he wakes up and goes to save the day. Uh, Lucy confronts the insane guy and says, you know, well, what have you done? You sent my husband here. It ain't right to me. What's going on? And he just says some old shit because he's insane. Uh, Dracula gets out on the boat, goes and stands by the sails for a bit. And when the boat arrives the next day, the captain is dead and tied to the steering wheel. Is that the right term for a boat wheel oh god yeah what's it called um the steering wheel the steering wheel, steering wheel. i don't know we're not <laughs> this isn't a boat podcast it's a fucking horror podcast um so a child sneezes when the boat arrives and we get a close with this so we know the plague has arrived um the rats are on the boat and uh the town citizens realize the plague's arrived uh with the boat and they all get us out indoors all go on lockdown uh, Dracula gets off the boat, takes his coffin to a church, he sees a cross, and he gets scared of it, and he makes a Britney Spears noise, he goes, oh, and uh, then after this, Harker arrives home, but he doesn't know who Lucy is anymore, and uh, I, I mean, it could be because she's uh, had a bit of a change of hairstyle, hasn't she? Yeah, she crimps her hair. She crimps her reason. hair at this she stage. He has no idea who she is, um, and uh, he gets hurt by the sun, he has a brain fever and uh, we realise he's becoming a vampire and uh, Dracula's there watching him from his window being nosy uh, the next in, in, as we begin the third act we get one of my favourite scenes in the film Dracula goes to pay Lucy a visit and they both stand there and have a monologue off a monologue battle where they keep saying all these really important things to each other in long sentences before Lucy shuts Dracula the fuck up Holds a cross, well, she reveals her cross on her neck and she was like, good night, and that's it. He walks away. The insane guy escapes. Um, we'll, we'll go back to that scene in a bit. There's a lot that could be said about it. The insane guy escapes. Uh, Lucy basically reads the beginner's guide to Dracula so she knows what to do to kill him. Uh, the insane guy tries speaking to Dracula. Uh, it's a conversation that's mainly him talking and Dracula trying to push him away. Uh, what does he tell him to do? In this scene, he gives him instructions, doesn't he? Mm. It never comes back, so it doesn't matter. No. Um, Lucy uh, launches a plan to take down Dracula whilst Dracula chases some pigeons. Uh, Lucy breaks into Dracula's little hideout, uh, finds the coffins. He pays her another visit, and uh, this is when she sacrifices herself. He lifts the dress up a bit, he touches her boob. Um, he's not convincing anyone, we know he's not interested in her that way. He bites her neck, sucks the blood till the morning, and they both die. Uh, Van Helsing turns up, the uh, Professor Van Helsing, to put a stake through both of them. And uh, Harker, who is now a full-on camp vampire, uh, because he, he wasn't camp before, but then he becomes a vampire, and all of a sudden, he is now camp. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's now a vampire. He's, got, he's obviously, he's being guarded by Sol in a chair, and uh, he orders his maid to move the salt out of the way. So you just clean this dust up. And he rides off into the sunset, even though he's a vampire. Yeah, he does, yeah. <laughs> so as you can tell, um, yeah, 1979 is, uh, I don't know if I've said it enough, it's ultra camp. It is. 
Yeah. So especially once it gets to the third act, it's it's the uh, for me. I feel like it's the difference between it being a silent film and um, being a talkie. Yeah. Um, you you look. Dracula is a camp character. Yeah. You look even the beginning. Bella Lugosi mm-hmm. in in an official oh, yeah. um, Dracula film. That's camp. The way he talks is camp. Yeah. Um, and it's not. I don't know. It's twenty twenty. So for us, it's camp. Um, it's not scary. It, it's a fun they're all fun well, films this to is, watch this is what's next on our things to talk about is um, our, our our free topic category that we do every time cinematography soundtrack and scares so starting with 1922 the scares come in form of the atmosphere it's just you know there's some disturbing imagery there I, I mean a lot of that is down to what we'll be discussing soon which is Max Schreck I think he's responsible for a lot of that the way he acts but also the cinematography. I think the the two go hand in hand with this, you know, the scares and the cinematography because yeah. it is all built up through the imagery, through the atmosphere created. It's very eerie. Um, you know, it you feel that presence there. You feel that atmosphere whilst you're watching it. Yeah, it's it's about creating an atmosphere, and it's about using what they have, um, which is just purely visual. Yeah. And using well, and and then the music as well to accompany it, but in terms of what we're looking at, it's purely visual, mm. and it it's, you know, it must have been quite difficult because obviously they have a static camera, yeah, that doesn't move. It, it, the technology is not there, to use to create atmospheres. Mm. So they have to use, you know sets and um filters and you know all that business yeah to create uh, the, the atmosphere mm-hmm. and the soundtrack it, it's great i mean it's you know it's a silent film they had to heavily rely on a soundtrack so lucky for them it, it is a good soundtrack However, I'm sure we've heard one of many soundtracks of that film because with silent films, it's played at a time, weren't it? So yeah, I th- I do think sometimes they're changed. Uh, I'm not sure what version we watch it with. It's literally it's just the version that's on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Um. So that's the version that we watched. Um. I don't know if it lives up to the typo negative soundtrack. <laughs> uh, <laughs> why typo negative? I have by no the way. idea. Were they big at that I time? Mean, judging from the soundtrack from this, from this, I can't imagine a metal soundtrack. But you know, I mean, we'll start with soundtrack from nineteen seventy nine because uh, I think the nineteen seventy nine soundtrack is actually better. I think it's that's the one thing that brings the atmosphere in this film. Yeah, the the soundtrack is very good. Um, you know. When it's used, it's used at the right moments. It's very particular. It's very... It's just... It, it suits the film so much. It is perfect for that film. It's a very good score as well. Yeah, I thought it was. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's particularly memorable for me, if I'm being honest. I've honestly had the score from the end stuck in my head since the film ended. Yeah? Okay. Um... So, I mean, for soundtrack, I'm going to say 1979... I would be inclined to say 1979 as well, um, because 
1922 one i'm not sure if the version we watched yeah. was correct yeah because it did it it felt a little out it, it did feel a little off mm. in places like it wasn't showing what was on screen yeah um um in regards to cinematography and scares scares obviously it's it's without a doubt it's 1922 yeah it's for me it's definitely 1922 because you get all those iconic images yeah and the scariest parts of the remake are the you know copies of the original yeah. one yeah you know when you see um i'm gonna call him nosferatu because it's easier um because he's essentially nosferatu in both films um i mean the count um so when you see nosferatu rise from that coffin when you see him on the boat mm. when you see, you know they're all iconic images for a reason because they're actually quite scary yeah and i think this is where the the silent film lends to that and to max Schreck's performance because it's very visual very yeah. physical as well because it has to be mm-hmm. and it really helps that and um i feel him being able to talk it's obviously he's not able to talk but us be able to hear the mm. voice in the remake i think that's where it lends to camp a yeah. bit too much yeah definitely um so you're saying 1922 as well for sketch yeah um, yeah in regards to cinematography this might even be a tie um, because this film, the, the 1979 version is beautiful to look at. It is actually. There are some scenes, um, I mean, in particular, just like the imagery of the random kid playing the violin that's just inserted here and there. Uh, you know I'm a sucker for surrealism and some weird stuff. Yeah. Um, the, the scene where Lucy, this almost tipped me over saying this was better than the 1922 for cinematography. The cinema, uh, the cinematography in the scene where Lucy is walking across the town and you know the plague's there because there's all these random visuals and everything and it's just, the way it's shot, it looks so beautiful. It, it, despite all this, you know, horrible stuff going on. Like you have a Last Supper going on in the middle of this town. Mm. And then they transition to show you all the rats eating the food and everything. And there's just so much symbolism within that, that, you know, it, it was just really, really fucking good. And I, it's a lot to do with why I rated the film so high as I did. Um, it's a beautiful film to look at. Even the scene with the coffins, when they're taking yeah. all the coffins out and everything. The way it was shot, it, it's just fantastic. I think he's a very good filmmaker. Um, and it's beautifully lit as well at, at times. Yeah. Two. There, there were some moments where um, Nosferatu's uh, lit in blue, yeah. which I, I, yeah. I, I felt looked gorgeous. Yeah. And I think Isabella Arjani, who plays uh, Lucy, mm. um, I think she's lit very beautifully mm. um, throughout the yeah, film, actually. Definitely. Yeah, she, she, you know, the cinematography really lends to her being mm. pure, you yeah. know, which is essentially uh, the reason why yeah. she's able to defeat Nosferatu in the end. Yeah. And that's the thing, it, the cinematography in this film lends itself to looking pretty. 
the cinematography in the original lends itself to looking scary. So I'm I'm gonna my first time on original versus remix. I'm gonna give this a tie because I can't decide between the two. Yeah, yeah, they, they both they both do the same thing essentially in different ways. Yeah. Um, they're both trying to be haunting yeah. and, um, you know, classically haunting and, and quite gothic, and they both do it really well. Yeah. So which one you choose them? Um, I would probably go for, I'd say the original, because you have to give a bit of cred for 1922. Yeah. So, characters. Um, first and foremost, obviously Count Dracula. Uh, you got Matt Shrek in 1922 and Klaus Kinski in 1979. Um, I mean, first of all, one thing I didn't mention in trivia is... Klaus Kinski's Dracula was actually the inspiration for Robert Englund uh, when he was preparing to play Freddy Krueger. Yeah. And you can see that. I mean, like I said to you earlier, to make the perfect drag queen duo because Freddy Krueger talks like a drag queen and uh, Klaus Kinski's Dracula looks and acts like a drag queen. (laughs) Um, I kind of wish that the remake would have went with the energetic... Oh, imagine account. that. Oh, but God. I, I wish they, they had yeah. done that. I think it would have been something different. Yeah. Um, I wish the the Count um, Orlock or whatever, he, Count Dracula in the remake, um, I wish he was more like Freddy Krueger yeah. in, the, in, in the film. There's certain poses and stuff you see where you can see that transition to Freddy Krueger. I mean, you know, Robert Englund sometimes comes, as much as I love him, he comes across as a little potential sometimes. But there were moments where I was like, okay, you, you, I think you did take some things from this. I, yeah, yeah. I, I wish the remake as a whole, and particularly in its portrayal of Nosferatu, would have done something different. Well, I mean, it did. He, he was... I mean, he he chases a fucking pigeon. Yeah, but I wish there were more moments of that. Yeah, he's ridiculous. I wish he was more over the top. I wish he was a bit, you know, if you're going to be camp, it can be camp. Just go for it. And I wish that film had, because in my head I was just like, well, this is just copying the original. What's the point? If you ain't going to do anything different, or dramatically different, then what's the point? It's the old yeah. Gus Van Sant Psycho, where it's a shot-for-shot remake. You, you're just wasting your time. Yeah, I know. And I, I felt that this, the remake, didn't do enough, particularly with the Nosferatu character. I, I wish he'd been a bit grander, a bit more over the top. Yeah, like, I mean, let's... Like Klaus Kinski wanted yeah, him let's, let's, to do um, it. Let's highlight some of his more camp scenes. So, I mean... Think of the scene where the insane manager guy is trying to talk to him and he's just there with his fucking hands sort of just pushing him away. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like that. And of course, my favourite scene where he has the monologue battle with uh, with Lucy. Scenes like that, I completely agree. I would have loved to see more of that. You know, it's the scenes where he tries to copy what Max Shrek did where... Like you said, it's just a scene for scene. So, and he's in the exact same makeup. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, yeah. Because the Max Shrek Nosferatu is 
essentially he didn't speak much so he he's more supernatural really he's this figure um you're not quite sure what he is you know and that makes him scary yeah whereas klaus kinski the first time you see him he's wearing a woolly hat yeah and he talks too much (laughs) yeah the scariest moment with klaus kinski is when he's dying and that completely defeats the purpose because i mean he's dying he's no threat but you know that i mean that moment when his eyes go why you know he looks scary but the rest Mm. of the film he just looks um yeah it just looks like the original yeah you know i mean i love this camp moments but like you said you know Max Shrek, he was the OG. He was he started this. He he was that role. He is the role that everybody knows. Um, for for that role, role for the role, role for the role, roles. How many times can I say roles? Backgrounds. <laughs> so um, but yeah, what I'm trying to say is he's iconic. Um, yeah. You know, like like you mentioned, the scenes where he's on the boat, the scenes where he's rising up from his coffin, the scenes where he's going up the stairs. Everybody knows those images, regardless of whether they know what the film is. I mean, I've seen them countless times before I watched the film. Um, you know, it, it's great. It, it really yeah. is. And plus, he's, he's a real vampire, so... Yeah. <laughs> but being able to emote yeah. without being able to yeah, use yeah, your voice yeah. must be difficult. Yeah. So to be able to make that role as iconic as it's become, mm-hmm. you know, props to him. And I... I and I wish Klaus Kinski had done what he wanted yeah. to do. I wish he was able to do that because yeah. that potentially would have been iconic for a different reason, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. it would have been fresher, I think. Yeah. So, Max Shrek, congratulations. Max um, you, you are our Count Dracula. Um, next up, Harker. I mean, it's, there's not really a lot to say. No, he he's he's not really. It's I mean, spoiler alert. Our winner is Gustav von Wagenheim. I think I pronounced that right. <laughs> but only, only just the only reason I preferred him as Harker, is because Bruno Ganz, uh, from nineteen seventy nine, had line delivery that resembled Tommy Wiseau. I think Bruno Ganz really struggled with the English. Yeah. So we watched the English version. Bruno Ganz is a Swedish uh, actor who predominantly worked in Germany. So I think his German would have been fluent. Yeah. Would have been perfect. And he was the lead in uh, Wim Wenders' The Wings of Desire. He was critically acclaimed for his performance as Adolf Hitler in Downfall. You know, this is an accomplished actor. And I think where he struggled was performing solely in English. Yeah. Because his line delivery feels clunky, particularly at the beginning um, of the film. It takes it took me out because I'm like, what the hell is it? It sounds like he's reading from a piece of paper. Hmm. It's like fucking Marlon Brando and someone's got the script stuck to the back <laughs> of yeah. their shirt, you know, and he's reading it off. It really felt like that. Um, the, the character itself isn't, he's like, he's meant to be like an everyman, you know, there's not really much to him, is there? No, no, um, not a lot. The, there isn't, he's maybe a little more formed in the remake, um, he, in the remake, he suddenly just, he's not our protagonist anymore. No. Which I think is which great, is good. actually, it's which good. I think is great. Because as a character, he's not particularly interesting. No. Um, that, that, 
that isn't really the story we want to follow in the film. No, and, and the thing is that with uh, with Harker, a lot of his scenes, well, his main scenes, he's sharing it with Dracula, and now both uh, 1922 and 1979, um, Max Schreck and Klaus Kinski, they both, they both command no scenes. They are the scene stealers. Yeah. That's who you're watching, you know, so you kind yeah. of forget he's there. To a yeah, and I, I think it's like in comedy where you have the straight man and you have the funny one. Mm. Um, you know, you have to have that straight man um, for the other guy to be funny. Yeah. You know, you have to have that. Um, so Harker is essentially our straight man in the story. Uh, within both films. Um, I don't know if he's more fully thought out in the novel. I'm assuming he is. Um, but for the purpose of these films, he's just sort of there to push the story. He is. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, really, I could I could choose neither because there's not really... I mean, they're both just there. I would the original, with the original. Yeah, you know, it has to be original because he can act a little all Yeah, oh, yeah. Which, I mean, I wouldn't entirely say that's Bruno Granz's fault. You know, it's, it's, it was clearly a language barrier. I think if we watched the German version... It would be different, yeah. It would have been different, potentially. Because, you know, he's an accomplished actor. But moving on to the best character. Lucy in 1979, and I believe... Was her name Nina in 1922? It was Nina in the German, and then Ellen... In the American. Yeah. This is so confusing. I'm so sorry. Everywhere around. It was Ellen in German, Nina in... Oh, for fuck's sake. If we're confused in anyone, I do fully apologise because <laughs> it's fucking confused us. But we're going to call her Lucy because that's the better version. Because she's got the German, the American. And is he allowed to be called Dracula? Is he not? You know, the film's called Nosferatu, but he's never he never calls himself fucking Nosferatu. Well, <sighs> in the original... Um, We'll say Lucy. Lucy was played by Greta Schroeder. Yeah. And uh, it's fine. It was, you know, very much like Harker, she did her job. She was there. She was, you know, a victim when she needed to be. You know, she... I don't know. I mean, you know, she saved his day, essentially. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Um, she. I, I think what's more interesting is the characterization of... Um, her, I'm gonna say Mrs. Harker because it makes me easier. Uh, um, but the characterization within in the films rather than the performance, because I think the performance, um, by Miss Schroeder, what's her first name? Mm-hmm. Uh, Greta. Greta Schroeder is very silent movie. Yeah. Um, lady, <laughs> very <gasps> gasping, holding her chest. Uh, very much that. Um, she's dressed and she's seen to be very virginal yeah um in both films she does not sleep in the same bed as her husband um does she so she's seen to be like that she does she does a good job of it um you know it's not the role itself is way more fleshed out in the remake and and that's what i was going to get to i mean isabel ajani uh plays her in the remake and now this is everything I wanted to see from this character and more. I mean, both versions of this character, I love the way it starts out as if she's been stopped by Dracula, she's the victim, oh no, you know, damsel in distress. But then it turns around and, and the female character saves the day. 
I think that's very progressive for both 1922 and for 1979, especially with how far they took it in 1979. Yeah, because that's not the ending of Dracula. No. No. That's that's not the ending of... You know, um, in Dracula, the sunlight only aggravates Count Dracula, mm. whereas in these, it killed... It, it's, I think Nosferatu was merged within Dracula, and what we know to be about vampires now mm-hmm. in common folklore and, and culture um, derives from both of them together, mm. um, which is it, way more, you know, it's more credit towards the original film as well. Yeah. Um, but the, the fact they, that she saves the day yeah. and sacrifices herself, you know, that that is quite, I, I thought, quite progressive. It is, and it, it really takes to another level in 1979. Um, you know, this is someone who is clearly on a fucking mission. She, she is a woman on a mission. She is, yeah. Um, and, and now going back to my favourite scene, I mean, that, that scene is just... Oh, my God, it was just amazing. Like, there's this fucking vampire walking into your room. He's clearly there to, uh, you know, he's not got the right intentions. Uh, he's just basically took your man... And she's just standing there, just fucking reeling off monologues at him. You know, he he starts speaking back to her, and then she fucking whips the cross out and says goodnight to him. That was amazing. I absolutely... I was living for it. Yeah, and she's still kept virginal in the yeah. remake. Yeah, she didn't need to be sexualised. Even when he was fucking lifting her dress up and touching her boob, you know, even then... It didn't even feel... That didn't even feel sexual. No, and I, I was a little nervous that the remake would sexualise yeah. her and make her into, you know, a sexual object. Yeah, which is what you get in a lot of vampire films. Yeah, which is very true. Very, very true of vampire films. And it's why Sylvia Christel, I was quite shocked that she was up for the part. Mm. Because Sylvia Christel made her name in softcore porn films, essentially... Yeah. Um, she was in Emmanuel, which is a very uh, boundary pushing at the time um, with its depiction of sexuality. Uh, she made her name as, you know, a, bit, a sex part, really, mm. um, which is why I was quite, I was like, oh, you know, it may have been a push. <laughs> it may have been her trying to push herself or, you know, to, to play the virginal mm. role. Um, I'm, I'm just, Isabella Jani does yeah, a good job. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad she got it. I mean, she, you know, she's serving me outfits. She's serving me hair. She's serving Shelley Duvall. She's just fucking strutting around the town whilst the plague's going on, just looking at everyone, breaking into Count Dracula's house. She fucking didn't give a shit. She wanted to get things done. She got things done. And, and honestly, I thought she was great. Yeah, yeah. I think the remake uh, depicted her better yeah, than the original. Yeah, it really did. It really did. And it's 1979, you know, this wasn't really a time where this was a thing, you know. There was films with strong female leads. I mean, it's a year... Was it the same year as Alien? Same year as Alien. Same year as Alien. A a year after Halloween. Halloween. You know, I mean, you had Black Christmas and stuff. You had Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yes. But still, those are only notable films. I mean, that's amongst many films that were released where you have your strong male character. That's, you know, that became the normality in cinema. But then, you know, they could have easily made Harker the hero in this. But they stuck with the original and they developed her character even more. And I think that's... I genuinely think that's such a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, congratulations, Isabella. 
Ajani. Why yeah. am I questioning how I'm saying it? I've said it about five <laughs> times. You are our winner. If you got it wrong the first five times, it doesn't really matter anymore. Um, so, the overall question is... The big question is, original or remake? Of course, I'm going to say original. Yeah, I will say original. But... It's still a good remake. I think the, I think it's a good still remake. Still the first time we've been able to say this on an original versus remake episode, you know, yeah. watch the remake, watch the original. Um you know, th- there are things that the remake fixed from the original. I mean, it, it's like we were saying earlier, no, did the original need a remake? Not necessarily, but the fact it was made and the fact they fixed some things and added some things that actually did feel necessary, you know, that justifies its existence. You yeah. Know? So yeah, original all the way, but you know, not a bad remake. Yeah. The original is a masterpiece because of everything together as, yeah. a, as a product yeah. is, you know, groundbreaking. The impact. The impact, and, and and the impact on the film industry. Film. And, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful to watch and to look at. You know, it's great. And it is a haunting film. The remake... Fixes parts like like you said, yeah, um, and like we have explained, but I wish it would have pushed things a little further. Yeah. I, I wish it would have come at it from a completely different direction, because to me, and unless you're doing that, what's really the point? Um, but then that's my twenty twenty brain, mm. because. Both films are so easily available. You look in nineteen seventy nine. How easily you know we didn't have v, we didn't have. I was not alive in nineteen seventy nine. <laughs> oh, it was tough for you back in the day. Huh? <laughs> Why the fuck I said that? I was not alive in nineteen seventy nine, but they didn't have VHSs. They didn't have DVDs and Blu rays. Uh, Nosferatu probably wasn't shown on TV too much, so maybe he just wanted to celebrate the film mm. and give it an audience, and that's why they remade it. Oh, yeah, I, I don't know. He's clearly a Nosferatu stan. Yeah, stan. Okay. stan Nosferatu in 1979. So maybe so that was his it. purpose, I d- uh, and that's why he kept to the original so much. Um, in terms of me, in my 2020 brain... I wish it would just pushed it further. Mm. Balls to the wall, you know. It was nineteen seventy nine. They could have done that. Yeah. Yeah, but that's our conclusion. That is it. And uh, it's now time for best and worst of the month. As you know, as we mentioned last month, not really get to see new films, so we're going to tell you the best and worst films we watched for the first time in this month. Would you like to go first? Um, no, because I've forgotten. <laughs> Have you not put it down? No, I haven't. No, I thought I'd remember. We've been watching loads. Of, obviously, we've been on lockdown. We've been watching loads of films for the first time. Okay, um, you, you decide your best and worst whilst I talk about mine. Okie dokie. My best, uh, well, from uh, enjoyment standpoint, um, this film has made it into my top five favourite films of all time immediately. Um, it has to be Mulholland Drive. Uh, Mulholland Drive, the David Lynch film. It is... Uh, I am an absolute slut for surrealism. I, I, I love weird films. I, I love David Lynch. Um, we did a marathon. Uh, there wasn't one bad film. I, I, I just adore him. I adore his films. And Mulholland Drive is the absolute 
the daddy of them all is amazing. It, it is bizarre in all the best ways possible. I, I didn't have a clue what was going on most of the time, but it was beautiful to look at. Effective. It works as a horror film. It works as a drama. It, it's just, it works. It's a perfect film. An absolute perfect film. Naomi Watts is incredible in it. You know, it's, yeah, it, it's amazing. Uh, so my best is Mulholland Drive. But from a technical standpoint, I really should mention this. Uh, we watched The Godfather 1 and 2. The Godfather Part 2 in particular, from a technical standpoint, would be my best film of the month. Uh, there's no way I couldn't have mentioned it because it is one of the great films of all time. It's flawless. Not a single thing wrong with it. Yeah, even by today's standards, it's aged gloriously. So yeah, but uh, I mean, my number one of the month is Mulholland Drive. Um, my worst of the month, we might share this one actually. We probably do. For some reason, I thought it would be a good idea to watch The Babysitter on Netflix. Netflix original, The Babysitter. So, I'm a huge Samara Weaving fan. I, you know, I loved her in Mayhem. I loved her in Ready or Not. I saw she was in this film. The premise about a, a kid catching his babysitter who's part of a cult, uh, murdering someone, you know, that's a simple plot. How can you go wrong? But fabulous director McGee, director of Terminated Salvation, uh, managed to get this very wrong on so many fucking levels. This is... It's fucking dire. It, like we said, and this is my worst film of the month as well, so I'll, I'll chip in now. Um, it felt like it was written by a... a child. Yeah, like a 14-year-old. Yeah, someone who's literally just learned how to swear. Um, and uh, there's dick joke after dick joke after tit joke after tit joke. There's an age joke in 2017. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of gore in it. You know, that's... Uh, whatever. Um, stupid. I just, it was I just thought stupid, it was a really stupid film. Immature. It was. I don't know how you can get a premise like that so wrong. It should have been so fun, but sadly they're making a sequel for it, which we will not be watching. But it was fucking horrendous. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I, I didn't enjoy it at all. No. Um, my, it's it's difficult because we have watched so many great films. Yeah. Uh, the Godfather Part One and Two, they were excellent. Um, we watched again the the Wrath of God, another Werner Herzog film that was excellent. Really enjoyed that film. Uh, my favorite was probably uh Picnic at Hanging Rock. Oh yeah. Um, I'd been meaning to watch that film for a very long time. Um, and, and talk about gorgeous films. Mm. Beautifully shot. Speak about uh, atmospheric films. Yeah, atmospheric, haunting, um, just um, really interesting. It's one of those films that stays with you afterwards. Um, and I always appreciate a film that does that. I'd already seen Mulholland Drive, but I would put that into that list as well. Mm. Um, it, it's a bit of a puzzle. I thought. I yeah. mean, Mulholland Drive is a puzzle. <laughs> it's like a choose-your-own-adventure film. You, exactly. You, know, you take away whatever you want from it. And I, I don't know if it's a, sp- a spoiler or not. I, I, I don't know. Um, stop listening now if uh, you don't want a spoiler for Picnic and Hanging Rock. Um, but I, I love a film that doesn't give you a solid conclusion. Mm. 
Um, I, I do like that. I, I couldn't, every film I watch couldn't be like that. Um, but I, I do like a film that dares to do that, and this yeah. one did. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was fantastic. But we watched some great films. Yeah, it's been a very good month We really films. did, you know. Well, we, we started this month with um, William Castle, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. All these films that we've been meaning to watch um, for a very long time. Opening Night, the John Cassavetes film. I fucking loved that film. Yeah. That was amazing. Deep End. Deep End. Um, yeah, that was great. Uh, I, I'd already seen that. That's one of my favourite films. We watched a lot of films, basically. Yeah, uh, we did the Kenneth Anger. Films. We did a little Kenneth Anger marathon. Yeah. I thought he was uh, great. I mean, technically, our worst would have been Look What's Happened to Rosemary's Baby, but we gave you a whole hour-long conversation on that last week. <sighs> Dying. Um, but yeah, so that's uh, Picnic of Hanging Rock, uh, Mulholland Drive, and... Watch those. Avoid the babysitter. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Essentially. Um. Even though some people seem to like it, I don't know. I can't see it myself. But anyway, uh, next week we will be discussing Pamela Anderson classic Barb Wire. Yeah, we're talking about remakes. This is my choice, Barb Wire, and uh, I was trying to look for remakes for this episode, mm-hmm. uh, for us to do, and I saw a list that described Barb Wire as one of the worst remakes of all time. And I was intrigued because I didn't know it was a remake. And it, it's not listed as a remake on IMDb. And I don't know if it's somebody taking the piss or not. But apparently, the plot is exactly the same as Casablanca. Yeah. Which <laughs> piqued my interest. Um, I've seen Casablanca. Fantastic film. You know, up there with the greatest of all time. Um, Barb Wire apparently is down there with the worst of all time so i'm really excited to watch this yeah 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 no i mean i I, I just look at the artwork and i'm excited to watch it um excuse me (laughs) no not that kind of excited (laughs) obviously seriously i think i was here worshiping a camp film for the last hour and and i'm fancying pamela anderson um so (laughs) so if you're listening on iTunes, give us a rate of you and subscribe, like, follow, and everything else. If you're on social media, let us know. If you didn't vote in the poll, let us know which one you prefer. If it's still the original, probably will be. Um, let us know your favourite Klaus Kinski films. I don't know. Horrorcore Trash over on Facebook and Instagram. Horrorcore Trash on Twitter. I'm Gazmo2F5 on Instagram. Gazcruise92 on Twitter. And I've been experimenting with lists on Letterboxd. Deadartgaz92. Go and have a look at them. Let's create that boredom. Uh, I'm Chris Barker823 on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. It's on his birth certificate as well. What, you, you are Chris Barker823, that's your actual name. Is it? No, it's a joke. Oh. Thanks for making it not funny. No. So we will you see. Thank yourself for that one. We will see you on Tuesday with another Trash to Peace. Bye.